Welcome back to Sailor's Disgrace. This is the first episode of Season 2. Season 2, as I mentioned before, is more of an outward focus, as Season 1 was more focused on my story and what happened to me and some of the implications of my life and relating also to Coast Guard life in general. This season, I'm focusing more uh, also on Coast Guard, but also other branches and some recent developments in the news regarding sexual assault and uh, accountability within the service in particular the Coast Guard, and I'll kick it off with uh, the report on fouled anchor. I'll go into detail here, um, but just uh, as usual, I'd like to start off with a quote, and I think this quote explains everything regarding this report, and it's a report, or it's a quote from Sophocles, the Greek philosopher and uh, author, and it's, shameful deeds are taught by shameful deeds. And to me, that means that these things perpetuate. You know, a, a shameful deed is hidden or it's, it's ignored and it's taught. It's taught to the younger generation. That's exactly what was happening um, in this case. So with Fouled Anchor, uh, essentially this report was finalized in January of 2020. And it was not released publicly until now, until very recently. And actually, I believe it was CNN that broke the story. And uh, it's been a shockwave throughout the branch, through the Coast Guard, since its release. And we'll get into that in further episodes. I want to talk more about the aftermath of this report. But this is focused solely on the actual uh, investigative report that was released. So um, the report was first initiated in September of 2014, after an officer disclosed a rape 17 years prior. So that would be in 1997, approximately. Um, I joined in 2003, and it kind of speaks to what I went through. I, I kept quiet for 12 years, and this officer kept quiet for 17 years. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, um, her case, and I'm assuming it's a her because female is referenced several times. It doesn't mention any male-on-male cases or male on, or female-on-male cases. But uh, her report spawned this full-on investigation, whereas... Mine, you know, it was an investigation solely on what happened to me. I'm not sure if it was an investigation into the culture on board at the time or any other cases associated with the command on the chase when I was there. But, you know, different things. There's different levels of visibility on these things. Um, You know, you have a senior officer make a report like this, and it it gets a different response, uh, good, bad, or otherwise. But it uncovered a lot of problems within the Coast Guard. So uh, I put that in perspective, too, as far as the time frame. So when this happened roughly in 1997, while this officer was uh, a member of the academy, she was a cadet. And when I joined about six years later, those same cadets uh, were all either graduating or had already graduated, and they were junior officers. They were JGs, lieutenants, and then even before that, in the early 90s, those officers had been in. 10, 13 years by the time I joined, and they're lieutenant commanders, you know, senior lieutenants and lieutenant commanders. And going back a little bit further, I peel that onion back even further, the officers that were in charge of those cadets, the, um, the commanders and admirals, uh, our captains were now admirals. They were in charge of the Coast Guard. This culture was what they created, it's what they fostered. And it explains a lot about what was going on in the service and, again, to reflect back on what happened to me. But um, anyway, going back to this investigation, it spanned a period of four years, from 2014 to 2018. 
there are 43 separate subjects. Um, during the 1990s, there appeared, and this is a quote from the, um, from the report, there appeared to be a disturbing pattern of conducting internal administrative investigations and or initiating disenrollment for sexual misconduct instead of referring the matter for criminal investigation. Uh, the short answer for that, the short summation of that is it was swept under the rug. A lot of these cases were handled at the lowest level and dismissed. You know, if, if the perpetrator was found guilty, um, it wasn't even through UCMJ most of the time. It was just an administrative discharge from the academy and life went on. Uh, no resources provided or very little resources provided for the victim. And it, that was just the culture. Um, so when this came out, the commandant appointed was referred to as the CDA, and that's the Consolidated Disposition Authority, to pursue uh, criminal and administrative sanctions against anybody involved in this. So uh, this went on again for four years for the investigation. Um, and part of the issue with the time that all these um, assaults were reported, um, there was a um, statute of limitations on things. So it wasn't until 2018 when the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces determined that rape had five years of statute of limitations. And before that, it was open. So they went back and they uh, investigated all these reports. So again, 43 individuals were the subject of investigation and there were 63 potential victims. And this is roughly a 15 to 20 year time span, roughly. And it references 1990 to 2006 several times, but it also, we'll get into it, talks a little bit about the late 80s and even into 2007, 2008, I think, as mentioned a few times. But um, so anyway, going back, uh, Academy, the Academy was aware of 30 of those allegations, uh, and only five were reported to CGIS during that actual time frame. And 13 separate allegations surfaced during the fouled anchor investigation. So more came out of the investigation as people were being interviewed. Um, so what happened was there were interviews of senior officials at the Academy from 1990 to 2006. Problem was, none of them were on active duty anymore. They either retired or separated, and many were deceased. Um, so a total of only 20 interviews were actually conducted during this uh, investigation. So the CDA, again, that's the Consolidated Disposition Authority, uh, reviews with uh, Rear Admiral Smith uh, and the judge advocate, the staff judge advocate. So reading through all this, what comes out of it, and I'm going to read some things verbatim, but no senior officials are actually held accountable, um, like I said, due to retirement and the actual policies that were in place at the time of these incidents. And we'll get more into that. And it's, um, it's kind of shocking to see how there was very little, actually no accountability for people um, in rank and positions of power. So this is directly from the fouled anchor report, and I'm going to read this here. So this is on section four of the final report, uh, item four, for Alpha through Echo, A through E. So the Consolidated Disposition Authority Action. All 43 cases were presented to the CDA for a decision on disposition. Following the CDA's independent review of the information contained in the CGIS investigations, that's the Coast Guard Investigative Services, the review and recommendations of legal counsel and the discussion and dialogue during the in-person briefs on each case, the CDA took the following actions. A. Referred three cases to other military services 
where the Coast Guard members had subsequently joined other services and remained on active duty. B. Took administrative action in two cases where sufficient ev evidence existed to support the allegation by, at a minimum, a preponderance of the evidence, and the subjects remained on active duty, and where applicable statutes of limitations precluded consideration of criminal prosecution. Two officers, who have been selected for promotion, were removed from the promotion list and are no longer in the service. C. Took no action in five cases where administrative action was possible, but the CDA determined that the allegations were not supported by a preponderance of the evidence. D. Took no action in 33 cases where the subject was no longer subject to Coast Guard jurisdiction for administrative action and where applicable statutes and limitations precluded consideration of either federal or state criminal charges. The CDA did not make a probable cause determination in these cases. And finally, E. Took no action with regard to any Academy official who may have had a decision-making role in these cases. However, the CDA perceived that the Academy leadership during much of this period failed to take sufficient action to ensure a safe environment, particularly for female cadets, and failed to instill a culture intolerant of sexual misconduct. They did not promote a, and maintain a climate conducive to reporting sexual assault, and they did not adequately investigate allegations as serious criminal matters and hold perpetrators appropriately accountable. Most importantly, the Academy too often failed to provide the support, trust, and care that is so vital for victims of sexual assault. And that's basically the closing arguments. There's gonna be more that we read, but that is the findings. Um, and in a nutshell, nobody's held accountable. Nobody's held, ha had their feet held to the fire. People just swept it under the rug and it worked. It worked all the way up to this flag level investigation, you know, this four year investigation. And it was determined that based on policies at the time and um, the way things were, that it was, in my opinion, it looks like, yeah, it's okay, you know, tough. And it's disgusting to me. It's absolutely reprehensible that that was the findings, that they couldn't solidify, you know, that there's two officers that were passed over, you know, 20 years after the fact. So they're probably captains or looking at making flag admiral, and they were told that they had to retire instead of promoting to a higher position. So they still get their six-figure salary uh, and their retirement pension and their VA benefits, um, but nothing else. Uh, nothing else is done to them. Where, where is the accountability? Where, is the, where are people going to learn that, that this is not tolerated? You know, um, and... That's where the next point goes in, point five on this. And this is very typical of how I view Coast Guard policy. Sometimes when we get caught in the military in general, we get caught with our um, pants down, so to speak. I hate to use that analogy, but we get caught doing something terrible. We're like, well, okay, that's the way it was, but now we're doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, that's the next item on here is the uh, Coast Guard and Coast Guard Academy policies concerning sexual assault prevention response reporting and investigation were closely examined and have evolved considerably from the period in the fouled anchor investigation. Those policies are now more precise and directive, developed in the context of wider changes in law and policy regarding sexual assault that applied across the armed forces, as well as experience with responding to and investigating sexual assault. Blah, 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 we're much better than we used to be, and now we have all this report stuff, and don't worry, we fixed it. Well. That's not the right answer, in my opinion, but that's what we do.
So going a little bit more into um, what happened with the victims. So victim recovery efforts um, were done with the interviews of 24 people and essentially they just received an apology. They, they were offered resources, many people declined, some people offered help uh, as a victim, which I think is very commendable, but what else, you know, what else other than just bringing this to light, and maybe that's all that needs to happen at this point. But, um, again, I feel like the Coast Guard's just failed on this, and that's my personal opinion, and I feel like we could do better, we could do much, much better. Um, so, going further, um, that's the final report, um, and attached to this, and I'm going to post all this um, for your for your review if you want to read this, um, but going further into this, uh, the actual CDA report, so um, it's also <laughs> pretty damning. Uh, essentially, it's, they're taking no action with regard to any Coast Guard Academy command cadre that was identified in the investigation. That was also reiterated several times that there's no accountability that because they're retired, because of, that they are no longer in the service, that we can't do anything and um, other than passing over two officers for promotion who are already senior officers. You know, what, what's that's it. That's it. There, there's nothing else that's going to be done. Um, and it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. So getting into the CDA report, it talks about the reasoning behind this. And I understand that policy, that we're all driven by policy and that we have to follow policies. And uh, policies up until 2004, which is when my assault happened, were extremely vague about re reporting to CEGIS. And I'm going to read this excerpt from the CDA report. Uh, this is bullet point number eight, alpha. Um, so here, the Commandant Instruction, which was investigative assistance. This version of the directive was first promulgated 30 years ago, in December of 1989, and remained in effect and unchanged until updated in 2004. All but one of the fouled anchor cases occurred while this version of the manual was in effect. So, reading into the manual, the stated purpose of this instruction was simply to reaffirm jurisdiction and responsibilities in the conducting of criminal investigations. Although this instruction did not specifically direct commanding officers to report all incidents to CEGIS, it did clearly provide that the Coast Guard investigative programs, which is now CEGIS, was responsible for the investigation of actual, suspected, or alleged felony offenses committed against a person, and instructed that requests for investigative assistance may be made through Coast Guard headquarters, district, or the local res resident agent office. So it doesn't say you shall do it, it says you may do it. Uh, which gives commands a lot of um, brevity to implement whatever they want to implement. So they, it was easy to sweep this stuff under the rug. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But um, the only specific reference to sexual offenses contained in the instruction was a requirement for commanding officers to provide available information to CEGIS to determine if a request for a full investigation is warranted for incidents of perverted sexual behavior. Uh, number three... The manual also notes that if a commanding officer declines to refer a suspected or alleged criminal matter to CEGIS for investigation, the facts shall be referred to a higher authority for review and determination whether an investigation should be initiated by CEGIS. So basically, if the captain doesn't refer it, the admiral should pick up on it, or whoever the next in command is, and refer it to CEGIS. Pretty vague. It also recognized command authority to commission fact-finding bodies to determine 
the circumstances of specific incidents to use command investigators for criminal offenses of a purely military character involving only Coast Guard personnel and confined to a ship or station, so not the academy, and stated that nothing herein is to be construed as infringing upon, conflicting with, or restricting in any way the investigative functions of a command, uh, e.g. courts of inquiry or investigations conducted pursuant to the UCMJ. So right there, it says that nothing will override or interfere with the command's authorities as listed in the UCMJ. Basically saying that you don't have to follow this, um, which led exactly to this problem. And we wrote it into our own policies. You know, these people that were in power, that were in charge, you know, the commandant, all the way down to your flag officers, your staff officers, they created these policies and they enforced these policies or the lack of policy and they all knew it. You know, they, they would hide these things. They would cover these things up, uh, dismiss them because it would look bad for the Coast Guard. It would look bad on them as commanding officers. It would hurt their chances of promotion, which um, is another very big issue. And we'll talk about that in a separate um, podcast, but there's been changes. Uh, DOD recently changed uh, reporting and investigation um, policies regarding sexual assault and harassment um, for this specific reason. Um, and I think it's a step in the right direction. But at this time, and this is kind of like the good old boy stuff, you didn't have to report anything. You just handled it. You were the captain. You're in charge. You're basically god of that ship or station or base or whatever it might be. And everything you say goes. And that's essentially what that is saying. Um, so going back into it about reporting, it said further on that um, written reports weren't even necessary. Telephone calls were actually required, which is to me is very concerning that they didn't even want this written at the time. This is in the 90s, 80s, 90s, all the way up to the 2000s. Telephone calls to the command and to headquarters, not written statements, not memos, nothing to document what was actually going on. If that doesn't let the commands read between the lines, I don't know what else does. So it says, make a phone call. Okay, um, you make a phone call. And that person says, all right, just handle it, Captain. Or if you don't even want to make that phone call, you can say, oh, I called, I called. Um, it was reported. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the next level did. There's no documentation. There's no proof that anything happened. And it's terrible. <laughs> and it, it, it just fosters this environment of, all right, let's keep it quiet. Let's keep it quiet. We know what's going on. It's very clear what's going on. The school chiefs knew. The commandant of cadets knew for, for years. And a lot of the same people would go back to the academy in different uh, leadership positions. <clears throat> so that alone, to me, just says, keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Um, even the, there was a separate superintendent instruction just for the academy. It was very similar. That reporting to investigation was extremely vague. It did not require it. Uh, and if it did, it wasn't really prescriptive and didn't hold anybody accountable. Um, so with this investigation, like I said, from 1990 all the way up, um, there are actually no evidence of cases being reported to sieges between 1989 to 1992. So just everything was handled internally. They would do their own administrative investigation, and basically that was it. Um, especially for those three years, nothing was referred to sieges, even when they did happen. Um, and then sporadically, 
afterwards sieges was involved, but only sporadically. Uh, definitely not the norm. Um, so during this investigation, it also states, and I thought this was very interesting, out of the 20 invest and interviews that were conducted, uh, no interviews were conducted with resident agents at the time uh, from that time period or any security personnel who would have actually received those reports. And I'm curious as to why they weren't interviewed. Were they, I'm sure maybe some of them have retired and maybe passed on, but somebody must be around. There must be document someone that worked there at that time and would have handled cases and why they weren't involved. That's very, very concerning to me. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Rear Admiral Stillman, who was a captain at the time, and this is in the CDA report, mentioned that during his tenure, he did not re remember any cases being sent to sieges for, for review or involvement when he was the Commandant of Cadets. He was in charge of the academy. So that's just right there. It tells you, now oh, we just handled everything ourselves, which may have been the norm, but it did not hold anybody accountable. And we'll get into that in a little bit too. Um, so finally, the Commandant instruction was updated in the late 90s for reporting to include sieges, but there was a separate Academy instruction and that wasn't updated until about five years later. So um, there was a mismatch there. And obviously Commandant instruction is for everybody, not just the Academy. They should have known this stuff, but it was clearly ignored. Um, so I'd like to read the next couple of sections of the CDA report and its sections excuse me, 16 and 17, and, <clears throat> excuse me, let me pull these up. So under 16, this is the conclusion of the Operation Foul Anchor. This is from, um, from Admiral Smith, who was the head of the CDA. So uh, during this period, Rear Admiral James Van Sice was a superintendent of the academy. Only one of the fouled anchor cases occurred during this pace period, and it was reported to see just for investigation. So that was in 2006. Um, so that's good. But here we go. So number 16. Regardless of the factors outlined above that drove my decision to take no formal action in this case, it is evident to me that academy leadership often failed to undertake sufficient action to ensure a safe environment, particularly for female cadets, and instill a culture t intolerant of any form of sexual misconduct. They did not promote and maintain a climate conducive to reporting incidents of sexual assault, and they did not adequately investigate alleged offenses as serious criminal matters and hold perpetrators appropriately accountable. Most importantly, the Academy too often failed to provide the support, trust, and care that is so vital for victims of sexual assault. 17. I am fully aware of the very real peril of judging action or inaction from 25 years ago through the lens of society's current views and efforts regarding the crime of sexual assault and our services significant and ongoing efforts to eliminate it completely. Throughout the fouled anchor investigation, I have taken care to ensure my disposition decisions were based on the UCMJ articles, state statutes, and Coast Guard regulations in place at the time, as wholly inadequate as many of them seem by today's standards. We have made vast improvements in those laws and regulations and in how we respond. We have a far greater understanding that sexual assault is a crime and cannot be minimized or treated differently because offenders are students, and that we best protect the status and reputation of our service and our academy, there you go, by giving victims the care and the voice they deserve and by holding perpetrators fully and immediately accountable. 
We know that sexual assault is a criminal act requiring experienced criminal investigators, that victims deserve the assistance of Special Victims Council and a host of other protections and safeguards we now recognize as indispensable to any response. Sadly, this was always not the case 25 years ago. I have a lot of problems with that statement. Um, he makes it seem that 25 years ago that we didn't understand that sexual assault was a problem, that because society has changed that we now understand that it's bad. And back then it was just the way of life. And that's how I'm reading that. And quite frankly, that's bullshit, Admiral. Um, absolute bullshit. Uh, to take that position is cowardly. Uh, the fact that you wouldn't hold your classmates accountable, and that's exactly who these people are, are your classmates, um, is despicable. And I'll be the first to say that, and I'll stand by that. Um, come at me, take take whatever you want to say to me, but I, 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 I'm deeply saddened by that response, that everything was... It's in the past, and we can't hold those accountable because it was in the past, and things were different. It wasn't that different, you know. Um, we didn't have the policies in place. Maybe our policies could have been better, and they have improved. I would say things are getting better. And even still, the fact that they would say that in a report, and it's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. And it makes me ashamed to be in the Coast Guard. And it makes me feel that we don't have a voice sometimes. You know, the survivors of this, the victims of these, these atrocities, we're not heard. We're not really heard. Um, that's how it feels. You know, the people, the people that were affected during this time at the Academy, I feel for them. And I feel sorry. I feel sad. Um, I hope that it doesn't continue um, and I, I feel that even in the most recent past, in the past several years there's been a lot of change but even that hasn't been enough and we've even seen cases still get swept under the rug or ignored and lead to horrible consequences um, and we'll talk about some of those not just in the Coast Guard but the other branches and we're going to get into that um, and that was the culture, you know, that was the culture, that was his culture, that was the culture of all these flag officers that many of them are still in, you know, these people that were in the academy back in the 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s, guess what, the ones that are senior officers, that are commanders, captains, admirals, that's their class, that's these people, some of them were probably victims, some of them are perpetrators, and that was their culture. And uh, just for those that aren't in the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard Academy is relatively small. The graduating class is roughly 400 people, I believe. Um, my high school graduating class is more than double that, you know. And having a small clique like that, everyone knows everyone. You all talk. You all stay together. You stay in touch. You promote, you promote, you promote. You're watching the the boards, you're watching the evaluations, you're all competing. There's only a handful of people that actually make it up to senior officer, commander, captain, and admiral, even less. So those people, 
we're thick and thin on this stuff and they're still around and some of them are being held to account um, in different ways those two people that were passed over which again I have no sympathy for that um, and I think that's if that's the best we can do we're not doing enough um, but other people are being caught as well or being wrapped up into this in different ways so let me read this last part from uh, the CDA report and I feel like it it's uh, kind of closes why why uh, this was not revealed until now so it's number 19 um, and number 20 so I recommend that a copy of this memorandum and enclosure be required reading for current and future Academy leadership teams one way to drive success in our continued effort to eliminate sexual assault from our service and to shape our future efforts is to be reminded of and have a clear and sophisticated understanding of past mistakes. I agree with that. And this was released, well, this was finalized in 2020. This is the first I've heard of it when it finally came out on the news and when CNN reported this. So that was said in this, in this report. And there was not an all-hands message. There was not a, uh, like, you know, the commandant coming up in front of this and saying, look, we made this mistake for years, you know, decades. <laughs> and the foul anchor only recovers 1990, roughly to 2006. This stuff was happening well before that, I guarantee it. And sadly continues to this day. But the fact that even the Admiral that wrote this said, we need to teach this at the Academy. We need to make sure that we are all aware of this. Didn't happen, did not happen. And at this point, I agree that it should have been taught. This should have been published. It should have been discussed at every level of leadership in the Coast Guard and, and shared with the other branches uh, that this failure happened for a long time, and we need to own it. Uh, and I'm a father of two boys, and anytime they screw something up, and we all screw stuff up, but I tell them to own it, you know, not lie about it, not cover it up, just, just say it. Like, yep, I messed up, and I'm going to learn from this, and it's okay, like... But the Coast Guard is more about saving face and retention and, and, and keeping people appeased and, and trying to recruit more people. And if we sent something like this out, oh my God, what would happen to our numbers? What was going to happen to our bottom line? And that's exactly why this was not released. And again, that is terrible thinking. That we're always concerned about our own self-preservation. We're concerned about our own promotion, about being promoted to whatever position that we want that's next on our checkoff list to climb that ladder. And that's a shame to all the senior leadership. That is an absolute shame. And I'm, I'm tired of it. And I know many people are too. To read this and to think, one thing is to have all this stuff happen and, and have it hidden for so long. But when this report was finalized, and the fact that it was buried for three years almost is despicable. And... This last point I'm going to read from the from the memo is uh, number 20. And it's, I also recommend consideration of this memorandum and reference when evaluating whether to invite or retain any former member of academy leadership from the fouled anchor period to participate in leadership, advisory, governance, or oversight roles at the academy or in the service generally. What the fuck? <laughs> you know... <laughs> So the way I read that is saying, yes, use this memo. Look at the list of people that we have that were accused. And let's not put them in leadership positions. 
You think? So what are you going to do with these people? There's only two of them that you passed over. The rest, just because they're named in this, you're just going to be like, well, we'll give them a desk job somewhere. They'll be in charge of something at headquarters. Put them in the puzzle palace and let them wash away until they retire. Yeah, good on you. Yeah, great job. Um, we're going to keep them around, but you know, we're just not going to put them in positions of power, even though they're most likely commanders, captains, and admirals at this point if they've been in this long. So, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And I like to quote, close this episode just by saying that I feel like I vented a little bit here, um, and it's it affects me directly as well. Again, going back to what happened to me, and that this culture was prevalent in the Coast Guard Academy, and the leadership at the time um, is evident. It's absolutely evident, and I know I'm not the only person affected by it. And you know, I I talked about it in season one where I didn't have that voice. I couldn't have reported. I didn't even know how to report. And it turns out 2004 is roughly when they came out with more sieges guidance on how to do this stuff. But I didn't know that as a non-rate. You know, we weren't taught this stuff. No one cared. Uh, everything was handled at the very lowest level. And sometimes you have to do that. There's certain things that have to be handled at the lowest level. Um, basic administrative stuff and, you know, um, good order and discipline, basic stuff. But obviously something this devastating and this sensitive shouldn't be handled at the lowest level, shouldn't be washed away and swept under the rug. And that's what the policies at the time encouraged. They were written by those people, and they were implemented by those people, and they were forgiven and forgotten by those people until they got put on the mat. And whoever that officer was that first kicked this off, the one that was assaulted 17 years before, I'm sorry that happened, but good on you for making that report and for getting it out. Uh, I know how hard that is. And for all those that also spoke up, that also took charge and gave evidence and support and, and, and all that pain that you had to go through. I'm sorry for that pain, but I'm, I'm glad that you were able to do that. So, um, again, future episodes, we're going to dig more into the aftermath of this report, the implications of this report. There's actually some very interesting things just recently happened as well a few days ago with Admiral Ray and if you've read it you know what I'm talking about but I will say that um, this report is damning to the Coast Guard as a black mark on the Coast Guard and we need to own it and we'll talk about that uh, again in a future episode so as always thanks again for listening everybody I really want to open this up to input from from the community. Please send me messages, uh, comment on this episode, comment um, on YouTube, on the Facebook page, send me a message directly, email, I'll put everything, all the links. I'll put a link to this report as well. And I love to discuss more. I, I love to just talk. And like I said, I have a few interviews coming up um, and I can't wait to get those out. I'm very excited. They're going to be great. Um, but just one last time, thank you all. Thanks to everybody. All the love, support has been phenomenal. And I am very, very grateful for all of you. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you for being part of this group. Thank you for listening. And one last plug for my cousin, David Brown, for supplying the music, Wayward Blues. Check him out. Um, he's in the, the link in the descriptions. And that's all I have to say today. So thank you guys again. And as always... Take care of yourselves.